any performer can get a little anxious at any time in their career, whether they've been performing for many years or not. You really should have a little bit of uh, that adrenaline feeling before you go on. Whether you're a professional dancer or just started falling in love with ballet dance, welcome to the Ballet Dance Live podcast. Here, we are diving deep into all facets of ballet dance world that cannot be found in a workshop or an audience seat. Every week, you will find new, honest, thought-provoking, inspiring, and educational conversation with top leading professionals of our industry. I'm your host, Jana Komornitska, and I'm honored that you are part of our dance tribe. This episode is brought to you by the Yana Dance Club, online platform where you can get access to all my teaching materials at once. Hundreds of technique drills, multiple choreographies, themed intensives, full-length courses, everything you can think about. Whether 20 minutes or few hours for practice, you will find a program that will fit not only your schedule, but your mood as well. First seven days are free, so check it out at yanadansclub.com, link in the show notes. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Baladins Live podcast. I feel our today's episode comes just in a perfect time. Literally a few episodes back we had a conversation about performance fears and performance anxiety. Also, we just finished adding a new intensive to the Yana Dance Club, also about addressing performance anxiety and building character on stage. And here it is, this conversation, we also actually talked today uh, about these subjects, but I think I'm rushing a little bit and jumping ahead of myself. First of all, let me introduce our incredible guest today, Cassandra Shore, the founder of the Cassandra School, which is functioning since 1978. She is recognized as one of the world's foremost performers and choreographers of Middle Eastern dance. Her artistic intensity, musicality, and technique set her apart from the average performer. She brings to dance lyrical grace, musical focus, and a sensuous quality of movement that brings mere technique to life. Her work has been rewarded with grants, commissions, and awards. Cassandra also founded the Jawahir Dance Company in 1989 as a way to move Middle Eastern dance beyond the museum and create original, theatrical-inspired choreographies that blends traditional and contemporary Middle Eastern Forms. In our today's episode, we talked about all stages of Cassandra's dance life, her very beginning, how she fell in love with ballet dance, her very first performance as a professional paid dancer, her very first class, and her very first dance school. Also, she gave very cool tips on how to figure out if you're ready to start performing professionally and also a couple of brilliant, really cool tips on how to deal with pre-show anxiety because there is a difference between just being a little bit anxious and having a little bit of the adrenaline or 
losing connection with your body and feeling numb and uh, out of balance and completely not being present in the moment. Also, we talked about uh, challenges of relocating dance studio to another area in the city or maybe even to completely different city that's can be also related um, for many of you. So if you are one of the dance teachers who is maybe considering or in the process of uh, switching for whatever reason to a different spot, a couple of things for you to think about definitely you'll hear in this episode. And also we talked about taking care of your body for a long-term dance career because Cassandra Shaw is such an inspiring example of uh, literally progressing through years of dancing and gaining more rather than focusing on what we may be losing with time and changes to our body but focusing more on what we are gaining and still she inspires so many dancers all around the world now also not only in her city but uh, via uh, Zoom classes literally all over the world and uh, I know many of her students were very glad with this addition of online element to her teaching and now I am pretty sure many of you are super excited to actually dive in and hear directly from our today's guest. So let's dive in. Hello, dear Cassandra. Welcome to the Belly Dance Life podcast. And I am so happy and so excited about our upcoming conversation. <laughs> well, I'm excited to talk to you. It's just wonderful that you called me and were requesting me to have to be on this podcast. I'm very excited about it. Oh, that's that's a pleasure and honor to have you here. And uh, I'm pretty sure many of our listeners also were waiting, like when we'll be interviewing Cassandra. So I'm very happy to have it now because uh, your career and your dance journey is so rich and so varied. And there's so many things to talk about, but... I would love to start from the very beginning. Do you remember your very first ballet dance class or tutorial or in whichever form it was? <laughs> My very first ballet dance class? Yes. Uh, it was a very long time ago, <laughs> but I, and I, I don't remember the very first class, but I do clearly remember the teacher that I had and the course that I was in, it was, uh, I was at the University of Minnesota as an undergraduate and I was studying pre-med, pre-medicine. So I had a course of mostly science classes uh, at that time. I was very interested in science and healing and um, becoming a doctor. And I, I was taking dance classes because I loved dance, and I was taking many other kinds of dance classes, predominantly modern dance and um, some jazz and some flamenco. And I saw advertised in the uh, student union like an evening class for belly dancing. And I thought, well, this could be fun. You know, I'd take this. I love dancing. And it was a good way of exercising at the time just because I was like a student in a, an academic course, you know, so you're not getting a lot of exercise in an academic course. 
Uh, and so I signed up for it and it was, you know, I thought it was pretty much fun. And the, the teacher was, um, had been a jazz dancer and we had had a, a very famous dancer from New York City who wrote a book. Her name was Serena and you may or may not have heard of Serena. Mm-hmm. Serena wrote one of the first belly dance books in America, in the U.S. here. It was called... Um, the Serena technique of belly dancing and this and Serena had been on a national tour um, and she had been in Minnesota. She had been in my home state and had taught a class there, you know, promoting her book. And this teacher had taken her class and started teaching and she was just teaching right out of this book, the Serena technique of belly dance. So she was maybe, you know, eight or nine pages ahead of the rest of the mm-hmm. of the city here or the rest of anyone. And she, she, again, she had not been uh, an oriental dancer or a belly dancer. And, and at the time we did have professional dancers in town, but she had not studied with them at the time. But because of, I mean, I thought I enjoyed it. And because of her, she was contacted by one of the teachers that was doing a major workshop. These were very uncommon in those days, the major workshops like we have now, but uh, a big workshop with this teacher, Serena, and other teachers from New York and San Francisco. And if you brought so many students, you know, seven students, 10 students, five students to this workshop as a teacher, you would get uh, a free workshop. So I signed up uh, to help her get a free workshop and went to this workshop in Chicago where I saw for the first time uh, a professional dancer performing with an Arabic band. And I was so impressed and loved it so much and wondered exactly what we had been doing in this class up to now, because it looked very little like what we had been doing. I um, packed up everything when I got home and moved to San Francisco (laughs) to study with one of the teachers that was there. So I don't remember my first class, but I certainly do remember how I got, how I really, really fell in love with it. It was because of the way the dance and the music were um, just one thing. You know, the dancer was so in tune with the music that I saw, the professional in Chicago, that I just was so attracted to the way that that worked and the, the way you could express yourself through the music and the movement. Oh, wow. It uh, had to be like love from the first sign to make you move to another city because of belly dance. And uh, yes. how was your plans for the doctor's career at that point? <laughs> well, you know, I, 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 my, thought, my thinking at the time was, well, you know, you can go back to school anytime, um, but you probably can't become a dancer for that long in your life. You know, I mean, a dance career isn't as long as a doctor's career. And so I was just, I sort of let it go because, oh, I did let it go. I let it go because I wanted to study with, it was actually Jamila Salampour, one of her students. Um, this, and I, I assume you've all heard of Jamila Salampour mm-hmm. from the West Coast and in the States here. And one of her, um, her protege at the time uh, Suhela was still a very young girl, so Suhela was not in the picture, but her protege at the time was named Aida Al-Adawi, and Aida was, had come to, San Francisco, to Chicago to do this workshop because Jamila didn't like to fly, and so Jamila didn't fly anywhere, so she sent Aida 
to do this workshop. And I was very impressed with Aida's technique and very impressed with Aida's uh, performance and the way she could play symbols and everything that happened. And I thought to myself, well, if the teacher is this, if the student is this good, the teacher must be incredible, <laughs> fabulous, mm. wonderful. <laughs> so I thought I need to study with this teacher. And um, that's what I did. Mm-hmm. I packed everything up and moved to you know moved to San Francisco and uh, looked to see if I, well, I was good enough to dance there and professionally, which I was not at the time I arrived. So I waited uh, for a few months um, and then tra- started to audition. Once I felt like I was getting closer to the the level of the the level of professional dance in that city, mm-hmm. so it was a very interesting time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I actually was about to ask uh, uh, how did you plan this transition to a different city to focus on ballet dance because you wanted to focus on training, but life still goes. We need to <laughs> somehow support us, etc. So uh, as you mentioned that you were training for a few months and then you start applying for professional, uh, like for, for gigs. Uh, many dancers may be stuck in the position that they are not sure if they are ready to go and perform. How did you figure out it back then? And maybe you have some kind of like tip or ideas or advice. Like how can dancer kind of like figure out, is she ready to try already doing some gigs? Or maybe no, not yet. Still still focus on training a lot. <laughs> so I had been training um, you know, for quite some time in in Minnesota where I was living. Um, and even before I left to move to San Francisco, the uh, teacher that I had that I had spoken about earlier, she had had a professional job here at, we had a local restaurant that had a band that uh, she was working with and she wanted to leave that that job. She wanted to go. Um, she had another opportunity. Actually, it was an opportunity to be a um, a magician's uh, assistant. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know how they have a pretty girl <laughs> mm-hmm. with a magician, so to distract her. Yes, she had she had had an opportunity to do that, and she wanted to take that opportunity. And she was looking for someone to take her take over her her performance slot at this restaurant. There was only one dancer. They didn't have any more than that. Uh, And it was a Thursday through Sunday kind of performance. You did two shows a night with the band. Um, The owners of the place were Persian and the daughter played uh, keyboards in the show. So she was looking and no one, none of her more, what, you know, she considered at the time more of her advanced students wanted to take the job. And I said, I would do it. And of course, I wasn't ready to do it, but I was the best one that they could find for the job at the time. But when I went to San Francisco, the way that I looked at it was I watched, I went to all the clubs that had dancers, and there were probably five or six at the time with live music, watched the dancers, and I could see that I was not up to that, you know, being, judging myself on a technical level and an experience level, I could see that I was not ready to perform in that loca- in that area with that band, with the expertise of the, you know, competing with the expertise of the dancers that were on the stage there at that time. And you just have to be a little bit honest with yourself because, you know, at some point 
you're never going to, you're going to say to yourself, you're never ready. So you have to take the plunge, but you do have to be honest about looking at your own ability and the ability of the dancers that are performing there. And are you going to be able to hold the audience and compete? You know, I mean, and and when I say compete, I don't mean it in a bad way. You Mm -hmm. know, I just mean, are you going to be able to hold your own in that situation and keep the job? Because really, if you're not up, you know, if you can't keep the audience and you can't keep the job and you can't keep people interested in what you're doing, um, you won't, you won't let they they'll fire you essentially they'll let you go and and pick somebody else up so you have to be pretty honest with yourself about looking at who's doing you know who's already performing how do you stack up next to them do you think you have a style you know can you express yourself are you are you do you know enough music um it's it's pretty subjective <laughs> when you get right down to it. Uh, you just have to look at what's happening around you. And then also realize that there are other skills. There are many performance skills that will not be learned until you're performing. You can study and study and study and have a great technique, but there are things that you don't learn until you actually start the performing, you know, the performing part of your career. It's, it's quite an education. Mm. But working around good dancers is that's the best thing working around dancers that are excellent and that are good you can learn a lot from watching great dancers on the stage can you give a couple examples of those skills that are learned only while you're actually performing already just for for yes. dancers to have an idea well, yeah well i think the most obvious one is how to work you know how to work with your musicians how to make your how to how to work with them like how to communicate with them how to know you know you have to know what's coming up next you have to learn how their little signals between each other work right because you know you're part of the band i mean really truly you are a part of that orchestra when you're when you're dancing you're the visual part of that orchestra you have to know how to deal how to listen to them how to understand where they're going what they're going to do next how to signal them if you want to start or stop you want to end something um, or if they're going to end something you want to know how they signal that as well there's that there's how do you how do you transition between one part of your show and another part of your show you don't just stop and you know stand there and <laughs> and think about it you have to have a way of transitioning that's that that makes the show still flow right the show is a you know you have to f- make this show flow from one dance to another from one feeling to another without without a big interruption that's going to jerk the audience's mind into another location you're trying to tell the story you know or create an atmosphere and you don't want anything that will take away from this atmosphere. So there are so many little things that don't, even if they are talked about in a class, it, it's not the same thing as trying to do them on, as learning them on stage and understanding what they are on stage, because it really, you can, I've taught performance skills classes and talked to people about this and they discover when they get, even though they've heard it, they discover how, different it is when you're actually on stage learning how to deal with your band and how to you know communicate with them and and uh if you want to change something i mean it it's just there's a lot of them so that's one particular example but you know there's a lot of things Mm -hmm. no i was just also curious which exactly aspects you will highlight uh because it of course talks a lot also about 
each dancer specific experience and on this note i would like to ask you do you remember your first performance in that restaurant when you finally got the audition uh and like went for it with live band do do you remember like any memories i don't know uh, things that happened or emotions or um excitement or i don't know fears before (laughs) whatever was happening (laughs) yeah i can i can i can remember the audition uh well the audition was actually it wasn't a my audition wasn't a um a straightforward audition at that particular location um i had been you know taking classes on and off well mostly on but on and off and with different teachers in the area and with jamila salampur and jamila had a student night um every like every the first monday of every month the band would play and if you wanted to dance you could sign up to dance and it was just like an open stage and you had no idea what the band would play when you walked up on stage. You just had to, that's another skill you have to learn. How do you dance to a tune you've never heard before? Mm-hmm. <laughs> this happens a lot. And, um, and so my audition, I wasn't really auditioning. I was dancing at one of these student nights because I wanted to get a little experience with the band, but I wasn't thinking about it as a live, as a, uh, as an audition. But later, the owner remembered my dancing and called me um, when they were looking for a new dancer. So I had it, my audition was kind of slightly low key. I do, however, remember getting on stage the first time when I was actually working there and getting paid to dance there. And I was sort of terrified the first time to walk up on stage with them because I had absolutely no idea what they were going to play. Uh, and fortunately for me, they played tunes I knew. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But it was it was an it was an interesting experience because the um, I mean for many many reasons but one of the things is because I was the newest dancer there in the in the club I had the worst position. <laughs> what I mean by the worst position was I had to start the show at nine o'clock when no one was in the club. There, it was deserted. We just they played they played music and and they had a dancer on the stage even though there was no one there. The the show started at nine and they went till two in the morning, and we alternated dancers. So I would be on the stage for an hour sometimes with nobody in in uh, you know in the audience at all. And it seems like that would be kind of a hard thing to do, but on on the other hand. I learned a lot of music by just being on the stage there with because the musicians would practice and I also they taught me how to play instruments. So if there was nothing going on I learned how to play the rick and I you know I mean it was kind of a great learning experience that would be hard to duplicate now. Yeah, that sounds like amazing <laughs> to have a practice like this and without pressure of like audience. Uh, and alternating sometimes like as an actual performance for audience and sometimes just dancing like without anyone. To me, it sounds actually very exciting. I know it may feel like, oh, when we perform, we actually want people to watch us, but especially in the beginning of dance journey and uh, performance uh, activities, I think it's, uh, I think you were very lucky with that. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, there's. I don't think those situations exist so uh, as often as they used to. That used to be kind of a norm, but uh, I'm kind of normal. Um, the other thing that was very helpful at the time, um, you have to remember this was before the Internet and videos. <laughs> so we didn't have videos of Egyptian dancers. We had old, We had old films that we could watch sometimes if somebody was showing them in a film, you know, in a film house in a movie theater, but we didn't really have a lot of access to the traditional dancers, except for the native dancers, you know, the Egyptians or the Turks or sometimes Algerians that were dancing in the clubs and we could watch them. Um, but the musicians were very helpful. Sometimes they would really, they could be very helpful um, in terms of like how you heard the music um, so that you could hear the music with a little bit more like what I would call like native ears, as opposed to just coming at it as a Westerner and not understanding the the feel of it from a, from that Near Eastern or Middle Eastern uh, way of hearing the music and how the people heard it. That was also the clubs that we were dancing in were always full of uh, Middle Eastern families, men, women, children. Um, and so we could see them also dancing, you know, when there was no one, dan- when there was no professional dancer, the people sometimes got up to dance to music that they loved. And then that was also a great educational experience to see how people, you know, related to the music themselves just on a social level, kind of as a social dance, because there is an element of social dance in, uh, you know, or in the Raksasharki. There is an element of, um, I'm not, when I say ballady, I don't mean like a, People say like a ballad progression. I don't mean that. I mean just that folk feel that needs to still be there in the Raksasharki. So it was a great. I mean, all the way around, it was kind of like an incredible place to start having your educa- your stage education. Hmm. I see. Also, about your first performance, you mentioned that you remember being terrified uh, uh, before going on stage. And at this point in your life, you also worked with many students and you have courses like programs and you coach specifically sharing like performance skills and knowledge. So I'm pretty sure you dealt with many dancers, many beginning like uh, performers who have performance anxiety. How do you kind of help or direct them to overcome those uh, uh, fears? Uh, Yeah, that's a good question. (laughs) I'll say that. Um, First of all, I, I don't, in my classes, um, I don't require people to perform unless they want to perform. I have a, there are a lot of students I've had many, many students over the years that really loved dancing in class and were not interested in performing. And I feel that if you're not interested in performing, then you shouldn't perform. You can study, you know, dance has a lot of benefits. Um, just dancing for your life has a lot of benefits and it's, and the, and you don't necessarily have to perform. So the people that I have had that want to perform that have had serious performance anxiety, um, normally what I would ask them to do is just try to breathe, 
deeply <laughs> before before a show and my own way of settling myself down if I get a little anxious because any performer can get a little anxious at any time in their career, whether they've been performing for many years or not. You should have, you really should have a little bit of uh, that adrenaline feeling before you go on. Otherwise, if you feel too lazy, you know, I don't mean lazy, but if you're too relaxed, it's it cannot be as good of a show as if you're over t- so you don't want to look bored. <laughs> so you need mm-hmm. just a little bit of that performing adrenaline. But what I do if I'm feeling a little bit uh, tense or anxious, and this is what I encourage them to do, is standing backstage before your show, you know, like if you you need to stand back there for five or six minutes before you're actually called to perform or ready to perform, standing in the wings or standing backstage, wherever your backstage area might be. A few deep breaths and a few little demi-plies, and you want to notice when you're doing your demi-plie where your weight is in your feet so that you settle your weight into your feet like solidly in, in both feet, nice and relaxed, all the way through the foot. You feel it in the ball, the heel, the outside edges of your feet. Your foot is, your foot is relaxed on the floor, and you're not pushed forward into the balls of your feet because that's, where you're ten- that's when you're uh, going to make a mistake or you're going to f- kind of fall forward slightly or it's just going to be like you're going to be a little bit too tense as you're dancing. So you just want to settle your weight into your feet and give yourself a few deep breaths so that you feel comfortable. And then whatever happens after that, (laughs) good luck. (laughs) Oh, I love that. It's basically the tip of, I don't know, it kind of gives, brings groundedness, like it's grounding your body, connecting, reconnecting floor, finding balance. There are so many things in this small tip. (laughs) So that's what you need is you need to be in touch with your body. And what anxiety does is it pulls you up into your head a little bit. And that kind of pulls you forward in your feet, in your body. So you want to like settle yourself back down into your body and make sure that you're centered in your weight and your body. And then, and then, you know, you're not going to remove every moment of anxiety, but you're going to at least put yourself back into a place where you're feeling like you're in your body and you're ready to go. You're ready to hear that music and let it be transferred into the body and, you know, uh, and let the let the music tell you what to do. Mm. Yeah, it's uh, uh, one more like a tip, which is basically exactly on the same sort of direction or uh, feel that your talent is like, move your body like i don't know shoulder rolls twists swing hips like whatever it's the idea of bringing back not being stuck inside our mind which sometimes can paralyze us with whatever imaginary fears we will have in our head without even sometimes realizing it but like bringing that back conscious and i absolutely love this tip like oh yeah reconnect to yeah. to floor and it's so simple and everyone can do it and you don't even need space so even if you're standing yeah. in the wings with a bunch of other dancers you can do plie <laughs> you no you can anywhere and, yeah. i mean that's the thing you can do that anywhere you don't need any space you just need you don't it doesn't even matter if you're surrounded by other people because you can just you know take a breath and tune out to whatever's going on around you and just focus internally. And and that can be difficult. I mean, I'm not saying that it's easy, especially when you are surrounded by other people, but it's perfectly possible. 
And uh, it's just something that's another thing you need to sort of train yourself to do, you know, is be able to get that internal focus when things are trying to pull you in another direction, when everything's trying to pull you in another direction. Let's put it that way. Mm. <laughs> well, uh, speaking of your dance career, as far as I understood, your you start performing way before you start teaching. So that was kind of your path uh, through like uh, main activities that as dancers, like we do, we perform and we teach. <laughs> and your first yeah. classes, they're actually like in the basement of restaurant where you were performing. Is that true? Well, one of the first places I was teaching, um, I had different places I was teaching, but when I, When I started, I was teaching a little bit in San Francisco area when I was living out there, but they were very casual classes, um, and it was my first experience teaching, and it was, uh, I will say it was pretty rough. I mean, I, you know, I would feel like you can teach what you know, and obviously you can't teach what you don't know, but sometimes people do that anyway. But, <laughs> <laughs> but my first classes here when I moved back uh, to Minnesota – to perform. I moved back to Minnesota to um, perform at a, uh, a Greek restaurant we had here in town that had, that had performers that had been bringing in performers from um, Chicago and Florida and different places where there are, are big communities that have music and dance. And, and the dancer that was working here wanted to leave and they usually hired the new dancer for a six month period and you did two shows a night five nights and five nights uh out of the week and you had two nights off so people would ask me um when they would see my show women would be in the audience and see the show and wonder if i was teaching and i was not teaching at that time but the and i didn't have a space to teach i was living in an apartment you know um And so the club owner let me teach in the club on the nights when the band wasn't there. So on a Monday or a Tuesday, I would have a class for whoever wanted to show up and teach. So that's where I started mm -hmm. teaching here. And then eventually um, I thought, it, well, eventually it became difficult to do that because, you know, the, when we would try to have practices with the band, that would interfere when you're trying to put up a new show or, you know, the band is learning music or whatever, they need to rehearse in that space. So it became a little more difficult to get that space. So um, I looked for, I had another woman who um, was studying with me at the time who was in, also interested in teaching. And so we found a space and then I opened the school at that time. So I had a little space to teach in. Mm -hmm. And how many locations uh, of your school did you change uh, since then, roughly? <laughs> uh, I think there's been about seven, seven or eight. Uh, some of them have been longer lasting than others, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I think there's been about seven. I think I'm in the seventh, the seventh mm -hmm. one about now. The, um, The, I, there's one I was in for uh, almost 25 years. Wow. Um, yeah, a very long time. And, uh, but then the, the building was sold and the owner sold the building and then the new owners 
we're going to re renovate the building entirely and everyone that was in the building had to move. So not just us, it was a kind of a large building, not just us, but everybody that was renting there. So I'm in the current location I'm in is where we moved to, um, after that but yeah it was a beautiful place the place we moved to i'm sorry I, I miss it still because it had uh we had three studios that we could have classes in all at the same time you know so you could have a lot of different classes going and now we just we're back to the one studio which is great but it was really i really got spoiled mm. <laughs> having those three spaces <laughs> yeah i can uh, understand and i think you everyone, can imagine, yeah, yeah i can imagine all right uh, what is the most uh, challenging aspect of moving studio from one location to another? Uh, well, aside from just the logistics of taking everything that you have in the studio, and 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 I think you can probably imagine if you've ever just moved your house, you know, like uh, or your apartment even, uh, I. The, the space I was in for 25 years, we had a lot there. And I, by that time, I had formed my dance company. So we had costumes and set pieces. And uh, uh, we had a riser for uh, performances that we could, it was a pull-out riser where you could pull it forward and seats came out and it was you know, held like 65 people and we had to get rid of everything. Everything had to be gone. So that was a big problem. But that's really just the logistics. I would say that the most difficult problem of moving your studio in the end is that every time you move, there's always students that live in the neighborhood where you are teaching and it's very convenient for them to walk to the studio. And when you move, you lose a lot of those students because they were coming because it was convenient for them to walk there. So you have to start over in a new neighborhood of, you know, I mean, you still have the people that were, that are very dedicated. They'll move wherever you move. But as far as getting new students into a studio, um, that is the challenging part when you move a space, when you move your space. Yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely a challenge. But I'm also pretty sure that you had many very dedicated students who would follow such teacher wherever you would <laughs> move around the city. <laughs> well, no, that's true. I do. I, and I'm grateful for them. I, I do have a lot of students that moved wherever we, whenever we moved. But, you know, when you're running... I'm sure that everybody that's a teacher uh, that's in the listening audience knows that when you're running the studio, your dedicated students are are incredible and you love them, but they're not the ones that support the studio because it's mostly the beginners that come in and out that people are, you know, that's that's where most of the students are. It's like you have about 10 or 15% that actually stay and t fall in love with the dance. Most, I think most people that come to take classes are mostly just there because they're kind of curious about what it is. Mm -hmm. And it's not for everybody. You know, uh, belly dancing is not for everybody. It's for, for a lot of people, but not everybody falls in love with it in the same way that you did or I did. So you have a lot of people that are coming just to see what it's like. And those are the people that are actually sort of paying the rent. Uh, as opposed to the, the students that you love that are there all the time. I mean, I love all my students, whether they're there all the time or not. But you know, that's that's the that's the hard part is getting the getting back kind of settled into the neighborhood and getting a student base. 
Mm, yeah, realities of uh, life. <laughs> yes, absolutely. During this time, uh, since you first fall in love with ballet dance and uh, start growing your dance career and your dedication and passion also grew, was there any specific moment that you realized that you sort of given up on your doctor's career that you planned earlier or was it just so smoothly that you kind of didn't even think about that at some point um it's kind of it kind of was um once i started dancing professionally uh again i sort of i was thinking my thinking was kind of well i can go back to school if i need to go back to school because you can go back to school at any age but um dancing professionally is dancing professionally in a business like uh, oriental dancing or you know belly dancing or um, other kinds of professional dance performances are not generally speaking um, something that you're doing when you're say 70 <laughs> right so uh, I was so I was always thinking oh I could go back to school if I need to go back to school I can go back to school but the way things worked out for me just the way that the the, the commute the just the way that the my career flowed I started thinking about if I'm going to have the school as I just talked about I started thinking about making a uh, a dance company because I wanted to present dances that were not usually seen by the general public here. Uh, I think that it, the general public doesn't understand that there's a lot more, that there are many more dances from, uh, you know, the Arab countries other than belly dancing. They all kind of know what belly dancing is and, or at least they recognize what it should look like, but I'm not, they're not all familiar with the local folk dance, the folk dances or any of those kinds of styles. And I wanted to do several things that were not possible in the nightclubs. And that would be like presenting folk dances. That's one traditional dances and also some creative dances that were just sort of fantasies or ways that I would interpret the music or story dances or dances that were based on like Arab folk tales or ideas that I had for theater dance uh, and that were those were not possible to be presented in the nightclubs. All right. The nightclubs have a, have a great, there's a great thing you can do there, but it's kind of the same show, not exactly the same show. You're always changing your music and it's not the same show, but it's kind of the same idea of the show. So there were other things that I wanted to do that had to be done on a theater stage. So that, pushed me in a in another direction for a, a for a very long time you know i mean i've been working with a and it was important to me to have these dances on stage with live music because i feel like live music is really important to our dance form i mean uh that is you know the music is the one thing we're dancing for really it's it has to do with uh you know your expression and your communication and so having live musicians was really important to me so putting that music on the stage um, and bringing mu great musicians in from different parts of the country and different parts of the world was also really important to me and that had to be done more or less on the theater stage so that all of that contributed to like a furthering of 
what I was interested in doing with the dance, and it kept me engaged for a very long time. It still keeps mm-hmm. me engaged. I also wonder, um, you mentioned that you were very passionate about healing, and it even inspired you back uh, years ago like to potentially think about career as a, a doctor. So I wonder, this is a complete guess, but I wonder if dance or element of dance that also kind of encouraged you or kept you engaged in dance was uh, maybe some discoveries of healing through dance? Did you find kind of any, I don't know, analogies or like different ways, but still like, uh, is your passion of healing still found its uh, realization in dance somehow? (laughs) So I still think, I do think that dance, um, I say this all the time, I, I do really think that dance is healing. I mean, it is, it is healing. Um, I have just a little caveat about that, but I do really feel like dance is healing. I, I really, I think it is. It, it, it heals the, the soul. Um, it, it gives expression. It is, it's especially healing for people that, that have, trauma in their life and can't express it another way. Um, um, now, that being said, um, I think that in order to get the benefits of that healing, one has to devote themselves to the process of dance. Um, it's, not, it, it, it's not enough to say, I'm doing dance's healing, and then suddenly your dance is healing. The dance is healing because dance itself is healing and the process of dancing and being in your body um, is healing. And whether and, and that's one thing you discover over time. I don't think it's something that, um, that you can just say, you just can't say, oh, I'm dancing and that's healing too. It is, um, but there's a process to it and I don't think it happens right away. I think that it's it's over time that you understand that this is that this is what's happening. So um, yes, I agree, and <laughs> but I have that caveat. Hmm. Can you clarify a little bit what do you mean by being dedicated to the process of dance? So being dedicated to the process means that you are continuously working with your body, to understand your body, um, to under, to keep your body in, um, I want to say performance shape, but that's not exactly what I mean, but to keep your body healthy. Um, and to keep your body healthy, you have to work at keeping your body healthy. It's not something you can do once a week. You have to do it regularly. It has to be conscious, um, so you can't just sit at a, a rowing machine or something. It has to be done consciously. That's why dance exercises are different from uh, fitness exercises. And it's something that needs to be attended to regularly. So it's a process. Learning how your body works through dance is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. Um, you can learn movements uh, and 
everybody learns movements and you will realize after you've been doing some of those movements for 10 or 15 years even that you will learn something new about that movement uh, after you've been doing it for 10 or 15 years just because of the way the process works, the, the, the slow, I don't want to say the slowness, but the steadiness of working on, on the body continuously um, has benefits that are, that, and that's what I'm talking about, that heal the body and heal the soul and heal the mind. Um, but it's not a fast process. It's, it's slow and it takes time and it needs to be continuous and it needs to be uh, done with um, thought mm-hmm. and presence. Would you consider that uh, paying so much attention to, well, I guess body awareness, I would say, uh, is kind of one of the keys of your long-term career? (laughs) Because I know some of Um, your students already sort of like uh, retired or stopped dancing and performing, and you managed to be like still like active and uh, teaching, and that's very inspiring too. (laughs) Well, I think it is in some ways, yeah, absolutely, because I haven't stopped, you know, doing my sort of daily bar, as it were. Um, uh, I take I I take my body very seriously. This that just sounds stupid to say, but it's absolutely true. It's like you have one, you know, you only get one, and uh, you need to take care of it, and you need to understand it, and uh, it's not a it it's not a once a week proposition it's uh it's a longer pro it's longer it's more than that and i think that has contributed to um my longevity as it were you know being able to dance for a very long time and still teaching and um i'm not performing as much as i used to but uh you know because i'm getting up there but uh i still perform periodically and i think it has a lot to do with that yes Mm. And would you mind sharing your sort of like, I don't know, routines or rituals or systems? Like what do you consider for yourself as taking care of your body? Um, well, you need to have a, uh, it's like a, it, I, w- I don't want to say it's like a regimented exercise program, but you need to have a program that you're working through all the parts of of your body and staying in touch with them and making sure that they're still moving, you know, they're, they're still moving properly, um, that you're not moving them in in an injurious way and that you're going through this process, uh, many times a week so that you understand that, that, that you're not doing anything that's harming yourself. Um, because sometimes people learn movements and then they just, do them in a certain way and and not not ever you know you have to be aware of how the body moves and uh this is like very hard for me to describe <laughs> i'm no, sorry to say okay. but you have to do all this with awareness and internal feeling so that you feel what how, where your body is moving and you feel if you're putting stress in some place that you shouldn't be putting stress on and so that you understand that this is not the way this is done and how this should work. And then you, if you don't understand that yourself, and that's perfectly possible that you're not going to understand it, there are many, many places to seek help um, with people that are, you know, like 
fit body experts and other older dancers and dancers that have been in a career for very many years that could be resources for one. You know, if you just look around, you can find them. Mm. So it's basically paying attention to proper technique and scanning your body for any, I guess, uh, like discomforts that may accumulate and uh, uh, result yeah. in a potential injury in the future. Right, and you have to. You also have to understand the difference between uh, injury pain and just like general muscle pain if you've mm -hmm. like over overexerted yourself, you know. And sometimes that happens, or overstretched, or sometimes there's a difference between stretching and pain. Um, but it's a lot. Yeah, it's a process, and uh, and there are there are there are there's a lot of help everywhere. So if you don't understand something, there are always resources uh, for you to look for, and. The, and then the important thing is that you find a resource that you trust and you ask or, you know, you ask for help from people that are expert in this. And generally I would ask someone who's been a dancer for much longer than I am that would have, would recommend someone to me or a, uh, a resource to me that would be trusted, that they would understand that they know that is not injurious and, um, would help you so it can be it can be tricky to find that though sometimes mm -hmm. i will say yeah. but on the other hand we also have a natural changes in our body throughout uh, our life like at 30 we may feel like oh i cannot do what i was doing at 20 at 40 what i was doing at 30 at 50 that i was doing at 40 and etc 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 so it's not even only about technique there are certain like literal like physical changes and i'm curious uh how did you tell deal with mindset because this uh, can be sometimes very frustrating and i know for many dancers they kind of almost have a fear of aging and whenever they get those fears when they're young they kind of like push away oh it's not going to be that that soon <laughs> let's say <laughs> which doesn't really help if you're not taking care of your body from the like uh, as soon as possible but uh like some people then they start noticing those changes which again can happen at 30 compared to when you were like 20 beginning let's say dancing or can start at 40 or 50 uh, that can really kind of hit on uh, mindset so how would you say to approach it or maybe you had your experience somehow around this problem i think you know your body is your body tells you um your body will tell you uh like no you shouldn't do this like that anymore um and so it's again there's just this sense of uh having to have the awareness of uh of what your body is telling you um, to do and not to do and whether or not um, there are, you know, I mean, and people are different. Some people have amazing flexibility, like through their whole life. And especially if they've been doing yoga and things that are, you know, really focused on flexibility more than some other, uh, some other things. But um, it's mostly listening to your body and understanding what you can't do or what you can do. And you don't want to push yourself to injure yourself, but also you can tell when, like, say, for instance, I have this fantastic backbend, <laughs> go all the way to the floor. So, 
you know, at some point you can realize that your body doesn't want to do that anymore. Uh, it starts to tell you that this is, if you go any farther than this, you're going to injure yourself. You can feel it as you go. So it's just, it's being, again, using your awareness uh, and your sense of what your body can do to, to, pro- to progress through the years, as it were. Mm, I love two things, especially what you said. It's listening to your body when it doesn't like doing it anymore. Not pushing to the point that it can't do it anymore, but already listening at which stage it just doesn't like. It still can, but it doesn't like it anymore. (laughs) That's very cool. And the way you put it, that you're progressing through years. Because many people, they kind of stuck on things that they are losing with time, like this ability, and it's like mind stuck like oh but i used to be like this i was able to do like that uh, instead of focusing on this progression and like you're moving forward you're progressing through years and probably this time in years okay you may lose some things but you also gain a lot of things that you can bring into dance you well for one thing um you gain you know your uh, as your years move on you're your body gains wisdom, which is your body is gaining wisdom all the time that you're moving with it and you're working with it, but it's gaining, it's gaining wisdom and it understands. Um, and the difference between, this is very obvious to me when I'm watching dancers, the difference between a mature dancer whose body has wisdom and is not over dancing a piece and putting too much too many movements or too much movement in there to make me nervous to watch her. And that, uh, you know, and I've gotten a lot of feedback from the Egyptians, um, my musicians and other people that, you know, like they'll say something like, Oh my God, you know, or she's making me nervous because she's dancing, she's dancing too fast. So your body learns as you progress in age as well to do more with less sometimes. And actually this is a great thing that we should learn from the beginning, but it's probably not as possible to learn that from the beginning because you have to, it's again, it's a process and you get there when it's time to get there. (laughs) So some people will get there sooner than others, but it's still a process and you get there when, when you arrive at that air at that time, you arrive at that time and you understand what you understand and there's no way to, make this go faster or, you know, uh, or, or really direct it. You just have to live, live your life and live through it. Mm. No, that's a really, uh, interesting and uh, very inspiring, like perspective. And, uh, uh, hopefully people who may be dealing right now with some fears of like years passing by and seeing changes to their body, like get some inspiration because, do not focus only on things that you are losing. There are a lot of things that you are also like gaining. And it's the matter of being present in your body right now and dance with your body, whichever body you have right now, not, I guess, being stuck or pretending that, oh, no, it's somehow different. Like, no, be aware and be proud of what you have right now and how you can use it, that it allows you to right. dance. Okay. It allows it. It actually allows you to be yourself on stage and express yourself in a better way, because you're not trying to just do a technique or 
execute a step. You're dancing how you feel because that's what's that's what you have now. You have your body, you have have your feelings of your body, and you're taking the music and dancing how you feel with it. And you're not trying to be something that you're not at a different age. I mean, it's like you have to be who you are at the age that you are. And uh, and you you can't you also have to have a realistic attitude about, you know, like performing in clubs and that sort of thing. If that's, if that was your bread and butter, I mean, that was my bread and butter for many years. I was performing in clubs, but there came a time that I said to myself, this is not for me anymore. You know, this is, it's beautiful. I love it. Um, and you know, I'm a little sad to see it go for myself, but I have other things that I can do. I'm still dancing. I still feel good. I still feel in my body. I still feel like I have something to say. That was the important thing. I feel like I have something to say. You know, there's a. I'm still expressing something when I dance. It's not just merely technique. And you know, those things are important, and you get better at that as you get older. Mm. Yeah, that's so true. Uh, I think in flamenco, they're saying that uh, like dance of more mature dancer, mature woman is uh, way more rich and interesting than maybe younger because that woman has what to say <laughs> to audience and what to send a message. More to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, people. It, the the longer you've been dancing the more the more focus you have and when you can bring that focus to the audience of what you're doing and focus on what you're doing um you you bring them along with you a lot more than if you're just out there sort of throwing techniques at them one mm-hmm. after the other right i mean that that it's more about how you do it than what you do you know it's always kind of that old there's an old song uh, it ain't what you do it's how you do it and and that song is correct. <laughs> it ain't what you do, it's how you do it. Yeah, so true. Well, we talked uh, about your uh, teaching activities too, even about like moving from one studio to another, but I can't uh, skip the question of how things uh, from teaching perspective were for you during last few years, because it was a huge shift for the whole dance world. So how did you navigate these changes, those transitions, and uh, uh, how did it affect your uh, teaching and your classes? Um, do you mean like the, the all the shutdowns and COVID? Yeah. Or is yeah. that what we're mm-hmm. talking about? Yeah. So when we first shut down, um, uh, I think it was March of 2020 that we shut down. And um, I don't, <clears throat> uh, nothing really happened. Uh, I didn't really have classes for about a month or so. And I thought, well, we really need to get, something going here because I have a studio and uh, my students are asking me what I'm going to do and we don't know what we're going to do and nobody knows what we're going to do. And um, and then we had, I live, um, no, I don't live, my studio is right next door to um, when George Floyd was killed here in Minneapolis. My studio is right next door to the fire station that was burned or to the police station that was burned down. Um, so we had serious fire damage, um, and uh, there was looting, and there was uh, 
serious damage to my windows and to my studio and my glass but things were broken and there's some they started tried to start a fire in the studio etc so we had an extra month of trying uh, of trying to sort the studio back out of repairing it and cleaning the water damage etc and in the meantime i'm thinking of what can we do you know uh they're not going to open up the place the other the the place itself my physical building was still being worked on so we decided we hadn't done any zoom classes or any online classes before this we had always just had in-person classes so i started to experiment because i hadn't done it before just experiment with that zoom platform and eventually we started to have a, a class schedule so that's i have now that we've been able to open up i have a classes that are hybrid so there are some zoom students and there are some students in person again which is great and um, the zoom students we keep the zoom because some of my students from around the world and around different parts of the united states were extremely happy <laughs> to finally be able to have classes <laughs> so we're keeping the zoom classes and now we have uh, live people back in the studio but it was I would say it's a year or so um, that we had the the Zoom classes and uh, and tried to and that's all we had for a little while. So our class schedule was very very um, curtailed and shortened, and we have less teachers and less dance less students. Well, probably about the same number of students online, but less teachers um, in the studio space. And now we're getting back to a more normal schedule which are like classes six days a week but you know like four nights and two days so hopefully that will straighten itself out a little bit if we don't get shut down again and it seems like everything is coming back to normal so we managed to survive by having the zoom classes and then that also taught us how to do a little bit more of zoom teaching um, although i do think it's kind of a poor substitute for being in person but if it's what you have, it's what you have. Mm. Well, hopefully everything uh, will go smoothly and uh, kind of on the line towards coming back to normal. But for those oh, students, so. for those dancers around the world who would like to join your Zoom classes, where they can find more information about it, where they can find also more information about your activities. Uh, uh, is it website? Do you share on some social media your favorite platform? please share with us where can people find more information <laughs> so we have a, I have a website for the Cassandra school it's the com, and I also have a website for my dance company which is Jawahir uh, Jawahir is J-A-W-A-A-H-I-R and that is a .org because we are a um, non-profit organization um, because we put on you know, we, we apply for grants and, and put on performances. And um, and either one of those places can direct you to a place that we would have classes online or in person, whatever you'd be interested in, and wherever you live. <laughs> and most of them are in a central time zone in the United States here. So depending on, you know, where you live, it may or may not be convenient. Um, and uh, But it's the CassandraSchool.com or Jawahir. Dot org. Those are the two places that you could look for classes. 
and performances and any. I have dance parties sometimes where we just have a little Zoom dance party where I, I'm like the DJ and I spin the tunes and people dance with me. It's just very casual online and it's just like a very casual, you know, you know, you can dress up or not dress up, but we just dance and people just dance and they, it's not a performance. It's just an opportunity to dance some good music. Mm, that sounds cool and exciting. I definitely will include links in the show notes. So whoever is listening right now, you can find uh, quick ways to connect and find more information without this awesome guest. And uh, um, before I uh, ask uh, my last question for the uh, this conversation this interview i would like to thank you a lot for spending this time with us uh, sharing your story uh, i know it was very little part we like we skipped a lot of things and just kind of like went with the flow and jumped from like one uh, time period of your dance career to another and there's way more to talk about and to cover but uh, i also want to be mindful of your time and very grateful for you to share your experience to be open uh, to talk about all sorts of different things that uh, as a dancer through life we encounter and face and uh, I'm absolutely sure our listeners will be also very happy and grateful for this conversation because many things they definitely can relate with. <laughs> well, thank you for having me. You're just a wonderful interviewer. I mean, we never had to think about another question. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it went on the one flow, which, <laughs> which is great. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So for our final question, uh, we have a traditional question at our podcast, which I ask every single uh, interview, regardless of what we talked during our conversation. And the question is, what makes you fall in love with belly dance again and again, so you keep doing it for so many years? Uh, well, that's an easy question for me because it's what made me fall in love with it at the beginning. It has to do with the fact that it's a very musical dance. And so great music makes me fall in love with belly dancing again and again. It's so, the movements are so beautiful and I feel like it's almost like the perfect expression in the female body. Um, it's just, it's so beautiful to watch when the music and the dance move together as one and that's what makes me fall in love with it again and again that's it for today guys but before you go away don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends and if you post it on social media please tag me and our guest because we love seeing who is listening to the podcast thanks for being with us and i'll see you next week same time same place <laughs>